Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes, and if you'll give me the 90 minutes, I'll give you details about current events around this world that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Remember, this is a very special weekend, the beginning of Passover last evening at sundown, and then they have the seven-day feast of unleavened bread, so they put the two together. It's an eight-day Passover season for the Jewish people. We'll be going to the center of the state of Israel, to Shiloh, talking with Winky Madad from an Orthodox Jewish perspective, what Passover was in the book of Exodus, and then what some of the traditions for the Passover and the Jewish people today. And we're going to bring to the microphones also Steve Herzig. He's the head, the national director of Friends of Israel. They do Passover seders. They teach the body of Christ, the Christian community, about this very, very special Jewish holy day. You don't want to miss that. I think Jim Jr. may come into the studios. He's just back from Rome. They've had a marvelous time, about 19, 20 days out there in different parts of the world, coming in for the marriage of one of our grandsons. Yes, Trent Faircloth. You may not know the name, of course, but he's marrying Joy, and we're all here family time as we all get together. And Ken Timmerman is our broadcast partner for this segment of the broadcast. Ken, you believe in family time as well. You're there in Sweden with your family, are you not? Uh, we are indeed, Jimmy. We had a Passover dinner last night, and then we were church tonight for uh, Good Friday, and we're home celebrating when we were supposed to be re- uh, uh, celebrating with family when we were supposed to be recording. So here I am. Well, we're finally able to get a hold of you. Thanks so very much for being available. Let me get right to the issue so you can get back to your family. There's a report out put out by a Kuwaiti newspaper that says that a Israeli F-35 stealth jet fighter was flying over Iran in the airspace, went across the Syrian airspace, the Iraqi airspace, circled over the Persian Gulf and then into the airspace over Iran. Boy, uh, this is uh, playing right at the edge, is it not? Well, the Israelis have received about a half dozen of the F-35 stealth fighters. This is the newest generation of U.S. stealth fighter aircraft. And obviously, Israel, as our uh, most significant and uh, best partner, if you wish, the only one that we have in the Middle East at this point uh, for our cutting edge technology, Israel has always been the first to receive our military technology. So they're the first ones to have F-35s and to see them fly over Iran, if this is true, and I tend to suspect it is, uh, shows that both the Iranian technology to intercept them and the Russian equipment that they've received is not sufficient to identify those stealth fighters. I take this as a piece of very good news, frankly. Absolutely good news and actually a warning to Iran, as has been the case in the past. In the early 80s, they took out the nuclear reactor there in Iraq, and then in 2007, they took out the nuclear reactor in Syria. And they're saying basically to Iran, we can take your nuclear development of a weapon of mass destruction out 
if indeed we need to do that. Well, let's continue on. So many items to talk about. Russia, Saudi Arabia, uh, they're coming together. Saudi Arabia leads OPEC, remember? Uh, That's the oil consortium. And they're working on a deal so they could cover the entire oil market. Boy, you put Russia's oil supply, Saudi Arabia's, that could corner the market. Well, what I find very interesting about this is, is that the Russians, and who produce as much oil as the United States and Saudi Arabia, we each produce about 10 million barrels a day, that the Russians are seeking to be tied into OPEC uh, in a price cartel. That, frankly, would, in, in most cases that you could think of, would actually benefit the United States uh, because the Saudis are very, very firmly today in our orbit. Uh, prince Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, has, is continuing to spend, you know, a, he's on a two to three week trip in the United States. Uh, he had a very, very positive meeting with President Trump where they expanded a $400 billion uh, military a cooperation agreement to $700 billion over 10 years. I mean, the biggest arms sale in American history. So I don't see the Saudis kind of going into the Russian orbit. I see the Saudis pulling the Russians into their orbit. And again, I think that's very good news. Good news. What about uh, the spread of Wahhabism? Now, that's the style of the Islamic faith that is is followed there in Saudi Arabia Uh, Supposedly, there's a report that the Saudis during the Cold War spread Wahhabism across the countryside because the West actually asked them to do that. That's word from the crown prince as he was in a conversation here in America. With the Washington Post, again, an astonishing revelation from the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, where he says that it was only at the request of Western countries, Jimmy Carter at that time, 1979, to Uh, Saudi Arabia, that they spread uh, the Wahhabi faith to recruit fighters to go into Afghanistan to fight the Soviets who had just taken over Afghanistan. Look, I take this one with a a, a grain of salt. Here are the facts. The Saudis have spent tens of billions of dollars during the 1980s to spread Wahhabi Islam all across the world. Absolutely true. Nobody can argue with that. I think what the crown prince is trying to do is to find an excuse for this or an explanation for this that would give him the grounds for saying, well, now we're going to cut off this support for extremist Wahhabi Islam, because that's what he's been saying in Washington. That's what he's been telling the president, uh, President Trump, and that's what he's been saying to the American media. He's been saying that we don't want to be associated with this extremist ideology any longer. We would like, actually, Saudi Arabia to become a more normal country without this extremist faith. And as I've said on these, uh, uh, you know, on this program with you before, Jimmy, I continue to be astonished that uh, uh, Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman uh, has not yet been separated from his head. 
<laughs> that is the truth. He's an amazing character thus far to be able to keep himself protected from assassination by the Wahhabis themselves, in fact. Well, uh, the advisors to President Trump and uh, the president himself very excited. It seems as if that's what their attitude is right now with the success of the North Korean leader, Kim, going in and meeting with the leader of China and the first trip out of the country of North Korea for that leader. And this is setting up indeed, I think, for a conversation between the leader of North Korea and President Trump. How do you look at it? Well, that's probably true. But yeah, I've got to say, you know, the irony here is you have president for life, Xi of China with (laughs) president for life, Kim Jong-un. Kim number three, or Kim the third, if you prefer. So you have uh, these apparently uh, lifetime leaders or people who will be in their positions for the rest of their lives uh, meeting each other, dictators, in other words. And they're trying to set up an environment where they can snooker the president of the United States. I don't think Donald Trump is going to be snookered. By the time the that summit occurs, John Bolton who I happen to know fairly well. Uh, We were co-nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize 2006 for our work on Iran. I don't think John Bolton, who's going to be the national security advisor uh, next week, uh, is going to fall for this kind of nonsense. Uh, I think he has a very clear-headed idea of who the young Kim rocket man is, what his interests are. He's seen successive U.S. administrations really get snookered by North Korean offers to negotiate where they, you know, made all these offers and they gave nothing in return. And, you know, soon afterwards developed long range ballistic missiles, continued to develop the nuclear weapons programs and then exploded nuclear weapons, which they hadn't done before. So I think all of this is going to with John Bolton as national security advisor and Donald Trump as president. I, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting summit meeting in May when when President Trump and the young Kim meet together. And I don't think the young Kim is going to be able to accomplish what his grandfather and father did before. I don't think he's going to be able to snooker the Americans any longer. Let me get this last article in for you before we have to go. You know, we've talked about Tayyip Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey, wanting to revive and bring into existence again the Ottoman Empire. He just had a summit meeting with the European Union, but he's going to keep at it, is he not? He wants that revival of the old Ottoman Empire, doesn't he? Well, he does. And he's and he's really pushing himself in direct confrontation with the United States. And I don't mean just politically. I mean, militarily in Syria, his troops are now uh, shooting at our allies, the Kurds and Afrin. They've taken over Afrin. And now they want to push eastward to the area in Manbij, where U.S. forces are around. Uh, I, I just have an article uh, this week at Front Page Mag. I think the United States have got a, has got a great deal of leverage to use against Erdogan. Turkey is no longer an American ally. They are no longer a NATO ally. And we have great a great deal of leverage to use against them. And I strongly urge the White House to do that. And I've laid out some very specific steps of things that we can do to limit Turkey's incursion into Syria and to Uh, If not bring them back into the fold, at least keep them from being an enemy. And we'll post that article on Front Page Magazine. 
that Ken Timmerman wrote on our website today, prophecytoday.com. It'll be on the home page. Ken, we're going to let you return to your family. This is a family weekend for people across the world with Resurrection Sunday. I knew that's what you were going to be involved in. But thank you so much for giving us a few moments. i got to get to my family here in a few moments for the big marriage this weekend. But thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Absolutely. What a weekend it's going to be. Yes. Thank you. God bless you too, buddy. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have David Dolan standing by. He has a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung, I'm here at Broadcast Central. Judy and I are home for the weekend. Of course, on Saturday night, tonight, later on after this broadcast, we're going to travel down into Georgia. Our grandson, Trent Faircloth, is going to be married this evening to a beautiful little girl named Joy uh, they both love the Lord. They both love each other. It's going to be a great time for Grandma and Granddaddy, or Papa, as I'm referred to uh, by that side of the family, uh, to gather together for a wonderful time of sweet fellowship and witnessing the marriage of this young couple. Pray for Trent and joy as they get married, if you think about it. I've been asked to lead in prayer at the uh, wedding ceremony, so I'm looking forward to that and being there I hope I can keep Judy from crying so much. And 
I hope I can keep from crying so much myself. Hey, great to have you along. Well, as promised, David Dolan comes to the microphone to talk about some very important issues focusing on Israel and in particular Jerusalem. And David, a lot of things to talk about if we can go quickly. I would have to say probably the headline, so many headlines, but the headline has to be the high alert put in place by the Israeli government as thousands of pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims and Christian pilgrims, make their way to Jerusalem for Passover, which started last evening at sundown, Friday evening, all day today, but then they go straight into the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread, so it makes it an eight-day Passover season, and of course, on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Israeli government watching very closely on high alert, are they not? Well, they are, Jimmy, and it's very unusual that Easter and Passover coincide so closely. They usually come within a few days of each other, but uh, Good Friday yesterday, of course, and also the first day of Passover, so lots of Christian activity in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and other places as as well as, of course, all the Jews celebrating Passover, and many Gentiles join with them in doing that. So it's always a time of extra security. But this year in particular, because of the Hamas vow to march to the Gaza border with Israel and to cross the border illegally, they sent thousands, the police estimated 20,000 Palestinians yesterday, uh, did try to march to the border. At least 10 were killed by Israeli uh, fire was trying to stop them coming into Israel. The Israeli authorities had warned not to go up to the border fence, not to actually touch it. And if they did, if they tried to pull it down or do anything, they would be shot. And that's what happened. There were many wounded as well. And of course, Jimmy, this is the Palestinians, the Hamas movement uh, called this a march of return, but they're calling it the marches of return because they're planning to keep doing this for the next six weeks, uh, every week until um, mid-May Western Gregorian calendar celebration of Israel's coming into existence in 1948. So more trouble is ahead. And that seemingly was uh, planned all along. I mean, this is a PR ploy that has been put in place and trying to get the sympathy of all of America, the European Union, in fact, the entire world, is it not? Well, it is, Jimmy. It's designed for the press. It's very photographic. You've got thousands of, they're mostly young men, and the Israelis said that the casualties on Friday were uh, young men between the ages of 16 and, and 30, I think they said. And they were uh, active uh, participants in these marches, and they're trying to get the cameras, of course, and it's, it, it draws a lot of sympathy to see people being shot at. But the Israelis are saying, look, we, you know, we're not wanting to shoot at you. We're not wanting another news story. But, Jimmy, the reality is there's so much else happening on the international stage right now. I don't think, and in fact I know, it's not getting much attention. I spoke to a CBS colleague of mine, and it's hardly being covered in the United States and in Europe, simply because there's so much else of importance going on right now on the world stage. So it's not really working for Hamas, but they'll keep trying, and they may just create a whole new uprising. That's what the Israelis are really fearing. Well, at the same time, there's news coming out of Kuwait, a Kuwaiti newspaper reporting that uh, the Israeli stealth jet fighter, the F-35, actually two of them flew over Iran in their airspace, crossing both Syria, Iraq, and then 
circling over the Persian Gulf on the facilities where they're preparing those nuclear weapons of mass destruction going into the airspace over Iran. This is quite interesting news in light of the possibility of a preemptive strike against that nuclear program in Iran. Well, indeed, Jimmy, and the F-35 is an amazing stealth aircraft, and uh, the Israelis are so thrilled to have it because it gives them a real strategic advantage in the air. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I'm sure that they have been using it to fly over some of their enemy states and positions, I'm sure, in Syria as well. And um, they're not just taking pictures or making ground observations, but as you say, uh, probably plotting routes and looking at what's already on paper in terms of a possible Israeli strike on Iran's nuclear program. Again, the Israelis say they have no beef with Iran. They don't want war with Iran. They've never started this. It was the other side, the Khomeinis and Khamenei's and Ahmadinejad's and all these people, uh, mil- militant Muslims. And uh, yet Israel is ready. And I expect, Jimmy, that we will see action fairly soon. Things are heating up. President uh, Trump said that the U.S. would be soon disengaging from Syria. That created some stir in the Middle East. What's he exactly talking about? But he made clear that at the end of the fight, he's talking about that ISIS will be totally defeated. Well, the only way that Syria is going to calm down is if Iran gets out of there as well, Jimmy. You know that. The Israelis are making that plain. So if the Syrian conflict is coming to a head, as the president was hinting, that we're going to be out of there, well, what's going to happen before that? That's the question. And again, the speculation is that the U.S., and Israel and others are talking about the very real prospect of military action against Iran. And this comes, Jimmy, in the wake of more missile firings into Saudi Arabia this week from Yemen. Those are Iranian missiles. I mentioned last week over 68 had been fired. This is another batch that were fired. And for the first time, a Saudi citizen was killed in the capital that was hit uh, by these rockets. So that's a very serious development as well. And another step closer to a Saudi-Iranian clash as well as the other parties to the conflict. As we've often said, Iran is a major player and a threat not only to Israel, but in the entire Middle East, they're very much concerned about Iran. Just a quick comment, if you will, about the F-35s. You said they were an amazing aircraft. Well, they purchased these aircraft from the United States, but when they get them on Israeli soil, they go in and change all the technology. I mean, this is the highest tech there is in any aircraft in the world. That's true, Jimmy, and they've been doing this for decades. It's fascinating. I've got some friends that are Israeli Air Force pilots, and they've described some of this to me, but they've been taking whatever equipment they get from the United States, although mostly aircraft, but sometimes other weapons as well, and they modify them, and frankly, they improve them, and they're already great to begin with, the best technology on Earth, really, but they take them one step further. Why? Because they have to have that edge. Again, we're talking about Israel. Total population of the country is 8 million. Iran's got over 60 million. Syria's got over 20 million. Egypt, they've got a huge population, about 15, 20 times Israel. So they're surrounded by Muslims and Arabs. Not all of them are declared enemies, but enough of them are, and enough of them can become at any time. So Israel has to keep that technological edge, and they do a great job at it. I've been reading what the Palestinian media has been talking about. They're counting the fact 
that their gender equality extends over to women who become terrorists and suicide bombers. Boy, isn't that a wonderful bit of information for the Palestinian women? They've been encouraging women, Jimmy, to carry out attacks for decades. And uh, I've been at the scene of several of those attacks, particularly when a young woman in, at the bus station in Jerusalem blew herself up and blew up a bunch of other people around her uh, some years ago. Uh, this has been going on. It's uh, wicked, but it's very easy, relatively easy, for a woman, a Muslim woman, to carry out an attack uh, versus a guy. Because if a guy's wearing a jacket or heavy clothing, most of the year in Israel, as you know, it's it's warm, it's hot, then you stand out. But a woman wears a burqa. She wears a covering over her face and over her clothing and all of this sort of thing. So they're prime targets for the suicide, homicide vests in particular, and the Israelis are aware of that, and they keep their eyes on the women as well as the men because of that. You know, if you've been eavesdropping on this conversation, you recognize the fact that this Jewish state of Israel is a tough neighborhood, really a land of conflict. That's why we, on a weekly basis, have a conversation with David Dolan, longtime journalist in that region of the world, key to our continuing update on what's happening so we can see how the prophetic scenario of God's Word so quickly coming together. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. Have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday with your family, and we'll talk again next week. To you as well, and have a great wedding celebration as well. Thank you so very much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Winky Madad, we're going to focus on a Orthodox Jewish person's perspective of Passover and what the Jewish people do at that wonderful season in the Jewish world. We'll take a break and come back all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today here at Broadcast Central. And guess what? We have a day off. Judy and I will just simply be with the family on Sunday instead of traveling to a church. Preachers seem to want Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, which is the proper name for it, to have their own congregation to preach to. They don't bring in guest preachers. You have the largest crowd, you want to be the preacher that speaks there. Anyway, so we're going to be home. It'll be a great time to be with all the grandbabies and everybody on this Sunday. I hope you have a great Resurrection Sunday. And uh, indeed, I want to go right now to Israel, to the center part of the state, to Shiloh, 
I'm a very historic biblical city. You know, our broadcast partner, Winky Madad, is there. Hey, Winky, Chak Sameach to you, my friend. Chak Sameach, a good holiday and a happy one. Thank you so very much. Now, the reason I'm giving a bit of information about my family is during the break I was talking with you, and you made the statement that, uh, the truth be known, you're not preparing for the Passover Seder at your house because all of your children, uh, you called them the little rascals or whatever, are going to have their own family Seders. And I'll ask you about a Seder in a moment, but... Uh, uh, what were you saying that you were going to do afterwards? Your families are your your children's families are going to be in their Passover seders. You're going to be with your cousin, but then on Sunday, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to have as much of the family as uh, can be over. I hope that all five children plus uh, three uh, sons and daughters-in-law and seven grandchildren will all make it, and my wife is going to make our traditional Passover treat, which is called matzah brai. And the best way I can describe it is uh, my wife makes a potato batter, and then she lays it on one side of the matzah, begins to fry it, lays it on the other, flips it over. It's not a pancake, Jimmy. It's a matzah brai. That's the center part of uh, what we do. And it, it puts on a lot of weight, but at least we have the holiday and a little bit of family enjoyment. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't worry about the weight when you've got the family and a good meal there. That does sound delicious. Now, I've eaten matzo before, and I think that's probably one of the best ways to get that matzo down. <laughs> it's not that edible, but a part of the Passover celebration. And that's why I wanted to get a hold of you, Winky, to talk about the Jewish approach to the Passover, the Seder. Would you just uh, stop for a moment, and I'm sure most everybody recognizes why there is Passover among the Jewish people. But go back 3,500 years and rehearse for all listening in why the Passover is a very special event in the Jewish world. Well, Jimmy, the Passover, of course, recalls the exit from Egypt, what's known as the Exodus, when the Jewish people who had gone down there because of food being sought out, there was a bit of a drought and all sorts of other things happening throughout the Middle East, and uh, Egypt was the best place to go. We also had a family there. (laughs) Joseph had already gone down there, and we came out of slavery. The biblical story, you can believe it literally, as many people do. You can take it for its value of a people breaking out of bondage and accepting upon themselves new responsibilities that God offers them on the Mount Sinai, going into the land of Israel. Not only leave, you know, too many Jews, Jimmy, between you and me and everybody who's listening, stress the leaving of Egypt and forget about the entering, eventually, the land of Israel. And so that's a third part of it. And the fourth part is the commandment not to have leavened bread or any sort of type of food made out of grains, except for the matzot, the uh, matzah pieces that are only made within 18 minutes of the beginning of the entire process. <laughs> it's a little bit dry and cracks, and maybe is hard to get down, but that's a symbol also that many rabbis mention as, as leaving off as much as possible, doing with as little as possible, taking 
into yourself only that which is quite necessary. And that's another element of the holiday, the holiday of matzot, the holiday of the unleavened bread. It's also very exciting to see the Jewish families, the pilgrims from different parts of the world, make their way into Jerusalem because Passover is one of those pilgrim feasts when the Jews were to go to Jerusalem and the temple to observe that Jewish holiday, right? Absolutely. We have three main pilgrimage holidays. Passover was very unique. Uh, Each one of them has its own sort of uniqueness, but Passover was very unique because it had the Paschal sacrifice on the morning of the day before the holiday starts. And in fact, a few days ago, we had a reenactment, sort of an exercise of that, uh, a full-dress rehearsal, Jimmy, as they call it on Broadway, with uh, an altar being uh, fashioned, uh, a lamb being slaughtered, the priests dressed up and doing all their parts of the service. We've discussed this many times, Jimmy, in terms of consciousness raising, in terms of education, in terms of people getting heightened to eventually do that in real time. And if I recall my history, there was a Roman who visited Jerusalem at the time and said he saw thousands of white lambs and goats coming down the side of Mount Scopus as the pilgrims began to come into this temple precincts in order to begin the uh, afternoon service of sacrificing the Paschal Lamb. And that uh, reenactment of that Passover sacrifice taking place at the southern end of uh, the temple there at the steps that uh, would have the pilgrims, the Jewish pilgrims, go up through the Hilda Gates and up onto the Temple Mount itself. Some 1,500, largest crowd to ever go to the reenactment of the Passover sacrifice. And, of course, I think this was the seventh one. I remember Gershon Solomon, if I'm correct, did the very first one. I was there with my television crew a number of years ago, but uh, I bet that was an exciting time. Those reenactments are to grab the consciousness of the Jewish people, are they not, in preparations for the temple and wanting to actually do that sacrifice on the Temple Mount itself when the temple is standing there? Uh, Absolutely, Jimmy. I agree with you. You have to get used to some things that you haven't done for a long time, and there are some people who doubt the need for sacrifices. I can see their point of view. There are some, unfortunately, some people who try to make fun and denigrate sacrificial worship in terms of what was done in the temple. And I just point out to them that, and you probably know this also, around this time of the year, a the Samaritan uh, group of people who were part of the Jewish people in one form or another, but they're separate on certain basic customs, they also do the Passover sacrifice up on Mount Grizim, and hundreds of tourists come to take pictures and to see what's doing, and that, as a tourist attraction, it's okay. But when Jews get serious about it, it seems to be a little bit awkward for them, and that just shows why we have to raise the consciousness. Absolutely. That uh, Bible you're talking about in the book of Exodus says, do this on an annual basis. And for over 3,500 years, that has been the case among the Jewish people. It will continue this year. And Of course, all of you say next year on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's basically the goal, isn't it, Winky? That's our hope. That's our desire. That's our will. You and I have been following this and my activity and your interest in this. 
and we just keep on year after year, and eventually it will be because it's been promised. It's because that's what the the plan is, and uh, we hope sooner than later. Amen. Hoxamayak, my good friend, have a great time with your family on Sunday, and thank you for helping us think about the Passover at this special time of the year for the Jewish people. Jimmy, thank you, and enjoy your family, and everybody who's listening, always enjoy your family. Well, let's go now to the European Union. It's a region of the world that's key as it relates to Bible prophecy. I believe it's the infrastructure, at least there in the European Union, for the revived Roman Empire. And John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us for many years, over 20, living in Brussels, Belgium. I want to talk about uh, Belgium in just a moment and uh, the Secretary of State or the similar position there in just a moment. But I think, John, we probably need to talk about uh, the spy poisoning and the Russian diplomats being expelled all across the United States and the European Union, and NATO even got involved. That kind of brought them all together, did it not? Exactly. It's been an unprecedented response now that what started out as an obscure poisoning situation linked to Russia and then the counter of the United States eventually deporting 60 Russian diplomats, which are seen to be intelligent operatives, especially at the United Nations. But now it's an unprecedented response. Twenty-plus countries are now expelling more than 100 diplomats. So the real big question on this is, why did it happen now? And I believe it's a tipping point where... Uh, increased Russian aggression, spying, cyber warfare, etc. It's just finally the point that enough is enough. And these countries together are beginning to see that attacks such as nerve agent attacks could be widespread and even in their own territory. So they have really drawn the line, and there has been no response on this scale ever before only thing that would be similar would be President Reagan, 1986, expelling 80 diplomats. You know, it kind of causes me to reflect on a couple of weeks ago when you actually brought to my attention the fact that this demonization of Vladimir Putin really gave him a leg up, although he didn't have another candidate that he was really having to fight against in order to be re-elected as president, but that was a very interesting thought. Talk to me about the European Union-Turkey summit that took place, actually seemingly ended with no solution. What was going on? The EU had one of their summits with the 28 heads of state just last week, and then there was in Bulgaria on the Black Sea, EU-Turkey summit, no solution, Basically, what happened at that meeting was the EU presented their long list of concerns. Uh, many of them deal with human rights and so forth. The process for Turkey to gain any status, European Union membership, that has been all shut down since the military coup uh, 2016. So really the bottom line on the EU-Turkey summit is just Turkey is asserting its position and there's really not a interest for negotiating concerns. They're basically drawing their their line in the sand. They get together, but it's mainly a formality. The big question is how will the EU deal with Turkey because they are not interested for any 
serious negotiating position. Or bringing them in as member states of the European Union either. Well, the European Union, being very busy this week, had a discussion on possible new sanctions to be applied against Iran and the nuclear deal. In essence, bottom line, I think they're just simply trying to save that Iranian nuclear deal. Would that be the way you see it? Yes. The situation with Iran, the bottom line here as well is it's the economic factors. The nuclear deal, it increased the Iranian economy 12.5%. Iranian GDP is $1.6 trillion. So the EU in particular really desires to keep the key economic benefit with Iran. This is really the main issue. But what happened a little over a week ago, there was a classified document which was leaked to Reuters and saying now that there is sanctions being discussed by France, Britain, and Germany, and now that news has officially come out. They're perceiving the U.S. position and working uh, to keep the economic benefit for the EU, but the, the United States has such considerable weight and influence in the EU politics, they're actually cutting this deal so that when we reach the May 12th deadline, they can keep the nuclear deal somewhat. But what is happening is it's purely economic uh, issues more than the nuclear issues. But the United States is exercising a really great weight of influence. And they let the EU do a lot of things. But when it comes to things where it's not negotiable, the EU is going to have to react. And so now this is why this Troika of France, Britain, and Germany have come together, have who have dealt with this in the past. But it's interesting as well that the U.K. is involved during Brexit. They have a, quite a position of influence. So here we have through the, the spy poisoning, Turkey, the Iran issue, we have the EU, U.K., USA, and NATO coming more into alignment, which is very interesting. Yeah, it certainly is. One final thought with you. The Belgian state secretary making a statement this week, and you lived in that country for some 20 years. He said there's no doubt that Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish state of Israel. Very interesting coming from him. This has been a significant departure from EU position in, in protocol. The media in Brussels is completely one-sided. Historically, the EU has been completely one-sided against Israel, pro-Palestinian authority. Jim Dysenberg was the first European Central Bank president. He was flying a Palestinian authority flag at his residence. So here, they're objecting to President Trump's support of Israel. But here, this is a, such a significant departure. The Belgian Secretary of State has come out saying that Jerusalem is Israel's capital. So this is breaking the position, it's breaking the protocol. In all the years in Brussels, uh, 26 years I was in, in EU countries, France and Belgium, and I rarely, rarely saw any pro-United States uh, statements in the media. So this is really significant, just like the new German foreign minister, uh, he has also come out with a very pro-Israeli uh, stance as well. All fitting into a prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. John and I talk politics, and then it goes to prophecy. John, thank you so much. A very important report. Many key points you brought to our attention today. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week, buddy.
Thank you. Well, earlier we talked with Winky Madad about the Passover, and he rehearsed for us what the Passover means to the Jewish people, going back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. Right now I want to bring to these microphones the National Director for the Friends of Israel, Steve Herzig. He's written several books. Actually, they both have the same title, a second volume, Jewish Culture and Customs, a Sampler of the Jewish Life by Steve Herzig. I have it, one of them right here in my hand, and it's an excellent book, a lot of uh, lovely illustrations in it, great information helping you to understand the connection from the Christian community to the Jewish people, their culture, and their customs. Excellent book, Steve. Thank you so much. That's a great service to the body of Christ. Well, thank you, Jimmy. I enjoyed writing it. You can come to our website, prophecytoday.com, and you can order that book or go to FOI, Friends of Israel, dot org, and there you can order it as well. Steve, earlier I did talk with Winky Madad about Passover. We went back some 3,500 years ago and rehearsed what the Bible tells us there in the book of Exodus chapter 12. Now, I know you come from an Orthodox Jewish background as well, and that was a very special time for your family before you came to know the Lord as your Savior as well, was it not? Oh, Jimmy, yeah, Passover is one of those times that inherent in the memorial, in the, in the Seder, in the order of things, is family. Not a whole lot different than uh, for Christian folks who get together around Easter time as well. But for Passover, it's the idea of family coming together. It's, it's a strong identity in our people and a strong identity in the traditions of the Passover. So, Jimmy, as your family gets together for Resurrection Day, there's probably certain traditions you have and had. Uh, the same thing applies to the Jewish people. Well, you mentioned the word Seder. Now explain what that word means, and then I know you, as a part of your ministry, go into churches, and wherever you can get a group of Christians together, you will teach uh, the Passover Seder. Talk to us about that. What do you do? Why do you teach this? Well, the first thing I do, Jimmy, and I, I'm laughing, and I hope you'll see why. First thing I do is, uh, I, when I get into a church, I talk to them about what they're going to do at Easter, and I say, one of the things you're going to do at Easter is after the service, you're going to go home and you're going to have ham. How many of you have ham <laughs> at Easter? And usually about 70 to 80 percent of the congregation raises their hand. And right. I tell them about Passover and the foods that we eat and how it reminds us, and I said, you know, when I read the Gospels, John the Baptist did not say, Behold, the ham of God takes away the sins of the world. And I try to remind them that although ham is good for leftovers and it's easy to prepare and all that, it, the whole celebration revolves around the Passover meal. And the resurrection took place actually during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, following the Passover. He celebrated the Passover. And so I think it's vital that churches understand that Jesus is Jewish, his disciples were Jewish, uh, they celebrated a Jewish feast, and as they were gathering around remembering the one-time event that took place, that is their redemption after 400-plus years of slavery, they were remembering that one-time event, and now Jesus was sitting with his disciples, and they were celebrating that memorial. And it was there with all the trappings of the 
Seder service, which means order, a certain order of things. All those things were looking back at God redeeming his people, and now Jesus was seated with his disciples. Before him, he had his face set as a flint, the Bible tells us, towards Jerusalem, and now he was there. And now the Lamb of God, the the Lamb who God sent, was going to, the very next day, uh, take the sins of the world upon him. And he celebrated that Passover and instituted a new memorial. So we don't want to take away from the Passover. The Passover is a real event. We ought to remember it. Jewish people do. And I have no problem with Christians remembering it as well. That's why we go into churches and show them. But but when they remember, they're, they're also looking forward in, in the first century as Jesus is with them. They're looking forward to what the Lamb of God, who doesn't take the sins of the world just that one time where God passed over in Egypt to redeem them. He took the sins of the world. Anybody who trusts in him is forgiven. The Lamb of God makes a huge difference. And so when I go to a church, Jimmy, I want them to know that after that Seder service that we show them, the next time they celebrate communion, it's going to revolutionize their life. And let me, if I can, give you one example. There is part of the Seder service where there are three matzahs in a bag. It's usually in a bag. It could be in any three compartment item that is one unit. It's always the middle matzah that's taken, always. It's broken, it's wrapped, it's hidden away, and it's brought back. It's called the afikomen, the only Greek word in the whole Seder service. And Jewish people do it, whether they're reform, super liberal, or very, very orthodox. Everybody does the afikomen. It's looked for, searched for, it's purchased with a price. And then everybody partakes. Everybody partakes. The rabbis say you can't leave the Seder Hmm. unless everybody partakes of the afikomen. And you know what it means, Jimmy? I know you do know what it means. It means he came. Yes, yes. Think yes. about that, Jimmy. <laughs> when I show that in a church and tell them that there's three matzahs, Jewish people have three matzahs, it's in one unit. It's always the middle matzah taken, it's always broken, wrapped, hidden away, and brought back, and it means he came. Who came? Oh, Jimmy, the Jewish people without knowing it. When I first saw that the first time as a believer, yes. my very first Passover, <laughs> my jaw was on the ground. Yes. The middle matzah is the Redeemer. He came. Jewish people look for him to come. I was looking for him to come. Every year at the end of the Seder, when he doesn't come, we say next year in Jerusalem. Yes, right. Well, Jimmy, you and I know that next year in Jerusalem is really the Maranatha call, isn't it? It certainly is. It certainly is. I have all the people, when I'm at a church, at the conclusion of my teaching, just before we leave, shout Maranatha. And uh, that's one of the reasons that we do that. Uh, You were mentioning a bit earlier the Seder in the time of Jesus Christ was in the evening. Now, remember the Jewish day. It's the night and the day. So it was still Passover afternoon when Jesus Christ was crucified. And as I look at what happened in the life of the Lord and then the death and resurrection, ultimately, of Jesus Christ, I see that Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover, laid in a grave on unleavened bread, and resurrected on first fruits, the first three of the Jewish spring feast. So Jesus Christ is fulfilling those feasts. It was ultimately given to the Jewish people, uh, and if they would have been paying attention, they could have recognized it enough, as has been the case for each of us who know Christ as Savior. Jimmy? 
great words. It's it, To me, this is one of the most exciting times. And this year, Good Friday, we call it Good Friday, and, and Passover, they're kind of lining up. And it's kind of the way it should be, isn't it? Yes, it is. It certainly is. You know, the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus is our Passover. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, our first fruits. So I'm excited to be able to talk about the first coming of Jesus Christ and how he fulfilled those Jewish feasts. Well, I always want to be practical when I have a conversation with you. Talk to us about how now we can use this knowledge, this information, to develop a relationship to our Jewish friends so we ultimately can bring them to the Messiah. Well, Jimmy, we have a Yiddish word called mensch. Uh, A mensch is a person who's a good-hearted person. He's the kind of person that would help if your tire was flat and you drove by and you stopped to help him. You know, as Jewish people celebrate their holiday, if uh, as a Christian, if you know them and know them well, be a mensch to them. Acknowledge it. Give them a card. Wish them a, a happy Passover. Talk to them about what they're celebrating and ask them, be interested in what their family might be doing. Just by taking interest in them, it's the beginning of what you and I already know, re- relating them, having a relationship with them, can bring about just great op- op- opportunity for open doors to communicate biblical truth. Steve, you've been able to teach us, as you always do when I gather you to this broadcast table, and so thankful for your ministry there at Friends of Israel. And last time we talked, I think you were in Israel when we had a conversation. But uh, thank you for giving us this conversation. I want to remind everybody, Steve's book is entitled Jewish Culture and Customs. It's available either at the Friends of Israel website, or you can come to mine, prophecytoday.com. Go to the bookstore, and you'll be able to get a copy of his book. Now, the greeting uh, that you give to Jewish people in Hebrew is Chaksameach, which means have a blessed high holy day. So, Steve, Chaksameach to you. Thank you, and we'll talk again on another special Jewish holy day. Thank you, Jimmy. Wow, what a great conversation with Steve Herzig, helping us to bring the Jewish Passover into light as it relates to the Christian community. Jesus, indeed, is our Passover. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I have got one more broadcast partner, David James, standing by. We're going to have a very unique conversation about the March for Our Lives and the young people there. You don't want to miss it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. And guess who just walked in? Jim Jr. He's been out for almost a month now over in the area of Israel for 10 days with our tour group, then took them over to Turkey, visiting the seven churches, went from there to Rome, Italy for a couple of days, flew in about 24 hours in the air, ultimately, in all of his traveling, but he's with us. Jim, great to have you back, buddy. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. (laughs) Okay, speaking the language of the country where you came from, huh? Jim, I want to talk to you in a moment, but let me tell everybody 
uh, that we're excited about the opportunity for this weekend for our Jewish friends, Passover. And then, of course, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the celebration of resurrection. Resurrection Sunday. Hope you have a marvelous time with your family and also going to your church to celebrate, of course, what is to be celebrated each and every Sunday. In light of that, love to have you answer our poll question. Go to my website on the left-hand column, scroll down. Here's the poll question. With the Jewish celebration of Passover and the Christian celebration of Resurrection Sunday, can you see how these two holy days impact both the salvation for the lost person and the prophetic scenario that is found in the Bible for the end of times. In other words, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ playing a key role in salvation. And, of course, Jesus, as we will talk about when we take a look at the book, Jesus fulfilling all the three Jewish feasts in the spring, crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, resurrected on first fruit. So go to the website, answer our poll question. Jim, just a minute before I have to go to uh, David James with our conversation this week. Uh, But you had a marvelous trip. Uh, We talked to you there in Turkey and also in Israel. How about Rome? Was that a a blessed time for our tour people? Oh, Rome is just fantastic. And people need to go with this. It's a city filled with fountains, statues, uh, all kinds of things. And of course, The main center of the city is the Vatican, Vatican City, and walking through those hallways to see how the the Vatican, the Pope, the Church has uh, gathered all these statues and and, uh, artifacts throughout history. Well, and preparing for the establishment of that false church. Now, we're not saying that uh, Rome or the Catholic Church is the fulfillment of Revelation 17, but everything being set up there to fulfill the false church that will be headquartered in Rome, according to Revelation 17. I heard that uh, right in front of the church, you taught that to your people. Yes, sir. You know, the interesting thing, uh, as we walk through As you teach Revelation chapter 17, it's not very hard to understand how the the harlot church, the ecclesiastical Babylon, that church, had fornicated with the kings of the earth, and you could see that as we walked through the church. Well, I'm sure it was a very informative time for all of our friends. Everything's safe along the way, both in Israel, Turkey, and Rome, so it's good for any of our friends to come and join us on these tours, is it not? We invite everyone. Go with us to Israel, Turkey, and Rome. Didn't have any problems at all. Well, that's a great word from Jim Jr. Glad you're back safe, buddy. And your brother flying in a bit later, he had to wait to make sure everybody got out of Rome safely. So it's good to have each and every one of you with us. We're going to be going to the marriage ceremony of uh, your nephew, Trent Faircloth, to Joy. They're going to get married. You had to be back for that. That's a command performance, my good friend. (laughs) Sure is. Yes, indeed. I want to remind you that my website, prophecytoday.com, has information about these tours. Go to Joshua Travel. Again, that address, it's prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. We're going to focus on an issue that the body of Christ 
must have a biblical understanding of in order to live the life that God has dictated in his word for each and every one of us who know him as Lord and Savior to live. So I'm so glad you could join us. David, just over a month ago, we discussed the Parkland, Florida high school shooting and the problem of evil and suffering in this world. Now, this week, we're doing somewhat of a follow-up to that discussion in light of what has become a student-led gun control movement. And, of course, it was a terrible tragedy, and our heart goes out to those uh, in Parkland, uh, the families who lost their children and people who lost their friends. And, of course, it goes back into the fall where there was the uh, shooting in Las Vegas, and then there was the shooting at the church in Texas. So, obviously, it's a, it's a national problem. It's a national issue. And uh, this last weekend, there was the March for Our Lives protest movement, and that happened in several major cities around the U.S., including Washington, D.C., New York City, I believe, Chicago, Dallas, and Los Angeles, among others. So there were literally hundreds of thousands of young people, and not just young people, there were adults who were present as well. And so it's something that I think that uh, you and I should take a look at, because it is on the public stage, and it does deal with even the issues of sin and morality and the problem of evil and suffering in this sinful world. Well, and of course, we both understand this whole thing is a very complex issue and that there are good people on both sides of the discussion. So then our intention is to try to avoid getting deep into politics on this. Well, that's true. You know, I grew up here in the Midwest in south-central Indiana. I grew up in an area out in the country. I grew up as a, as a hunter and a fisherman and uh, everybody that we knew, all our family and friends, and I continue to live in central Indiana. And so there are many people who are members of the NRA, including many people in our churches. But I also understand that there are different situations, especially in metropolitan areas. If I would drive three hours north, that puts me in South Chicago, which is one of the most dangerous places in the world, even though it has the strictest gun control policies of any major city in the world. So, you know, I think uh, I try to be sensitive to the fact that different people come to different conclusions, and even godly people come to different conclusions, not just about this, but about other things. So we try to stick with the issues and stay away from the why and just deal with the what and try to give some reasonable and balanced responses. David, one thing that I want us to focus on in a few moments here is the Never Again movement, which is being led by students with school walkouts and protest marches across the nation, as you have just mentioned, as well as the rhetoric-filled speeches and multiple television appearances by some of the movement's de facto leaders. Well, it's certainly true that this movement has gained a lot of momentum over the past few weeks. That shooting uh, did take place, I think it was on February 14th last month. And one of the things that I think would bother me, though, is some of the, the nature of and how this movement has taken shape. For example, for uh, students to be not only walking out of their schools during the school day, but being encouraged by some teachers to do that, and the students who didn't want to participate in this being ostracized, what you have is that while they don't like to be criticized, they are quick to criticize those who disagree with them or have a different viewpoint. So they want to have free speech and exercise their free speech, while I would say 
not being willing to allow the other side to express their views as well. And I would also have to say that in many cases, I don't know that many of these high school students, especially when you're talking about urban areas where it's different than where I grew up, where hunting and carrying guns is a part of you know your normal life, I don't know that they have a clear understanding of all of the issues. You quickly see it when they're t- they use terminology that is not correct with regard to guns and assault rifles and, and automatic versus semi-automatic weapons and all that. And I don't want to get into the weeds on this, but The point is this. I'm not sure that they really have a deep enough understanding to really ultimately affect policy in a way that would be helpful for the country as a whole. And I think also, you know, being very young, you have a generation that seems to want to have a voice and influence and power and even prestige in some cases that it took adults 20, 30, 40 years of living life, understanding these issues, researching them, coming to a good, solid conclusions. I just think a lot of that is missing in, in all of this. Well, and I think we can safely say that the face of the movement is an 18-year-old man named David Hogg, who is a student at the Parkland, Florida school where last month Nicholas Cruz killed 17 people and wounded 17 others. Well, that's right. He spoke at the March for Our Lives rally in Washington, D.C. I've watched that speech a couple of times, listened carefully to what he had to say. I would have to say that he is fairly articulate for such a young person, but I've also watched a number of critiques of his speech. For example, Ben Shapiro, another young man, but who's very well-spoken conservative and actually analyzed David Hogg's speech and pointed out several things that were completely wrong wrong and unfair. One of the things that I noticed is he's quickly become, and I hate to judge or come across like I'm judging, but I'll just say that he comes across as being somewhat self-important and uh, rather arrogant. Well, as Christians, David, we need to be looking at this from a spiritual and biblical perspective, no matter where one may fall along the spectrum of the gun control issue. Well, that's exactly true. You know, the world we live in is a dangerous place because it is a sinful world. And we have seen that the misuse of guns is only uh, one small component, and they're simply the tool that is used in the hands of, of honestly crazy people or people with an agenda who are out to cause harm. You know, we we don't ban planes because planes were used to take down the, the World Trade Centers on 9-11. We look at the Oklahoma City bombing where there was fertilizer used. Three or four years ago in Pennsylvania, somebody went on a knife rampage through a school killing multiple people. So it's, it's not the tools that are the problem. The problem is the heart. And I think that the American culture has gotten away from a lot of the values that you and I grew up with. We don't respect parents. We don't respect those in authority. We don't care for our neighbors. We live isolated lives. And the gospel, unfortunately, is not being preached like it once was. And all of these things are contributing to the spiritual and moral decline of the country. And what we're seeing are simply symptoms of that as we go deeper into the uh, the end times as these, think, these uh, acts of violence increase, which the Bible actually says will happen. Absolutely right on target, the Word of God is. Well, let me conclude our conversation this week with this thought. A retired Supreme Court justice 
John Stevens wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment in the Constitution. David, do you think there are any biblical guidelines that come into play for how Christians should think about this, including owning and carrying guns for personal protection? Well, I think we need to understand how this country was founded and the basis for the Declaration of Independence and then later for the Constitution and then subsequent amendments that were added. These were put into place by whether they were actually Christian, all Christians or not. They were Most of them were God-fearing men who were trying to establish this country on biblical principles. I'm not saying that makes us a Christian country. I'm just saying that that was their intention. And so uh, we are unique in this regard. America is unique in this regard. And part of this, and the Second Amendment uh, alludes to the fact that we are to, as citizens of this country, we are part of the government as well, and we are responsible for protecting one another. And even George Washington said to protect ourselves from a government that runs out of control. And then concerning owning and carrying guns, I think that's a personal decision. If someone chooses not to, that's totally fine with me. But I also think that there is a biblical case to be made for self-defense and protecting your family. Even Jesus told his disciples to carry a sword because as they went on their journeys, they were going to be in dangerous situations. Paul said that the government doesn't wield the sword in vain, and by virtue of the Constitution itself, we become an extension, a civil extension, of even the, the law enforcement authorities and the military of this country for the protecting of even one another in dangerous situations. So I know there are a lot of people who take a different view on that, and it's not necessarily a hill I'm ready to die on, but I think they are some things to bring some balance to the conversation. I do believe you're correct. Some things we needed to have in our discussion on this particular issue And that's why we made our focus this topic for this week. Thanks, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to look at the issues we discussed with our broadcast partners. Then I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. How do you like your news? 
you know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. We're going to pull together all the conversations that I had with my broadcast partners, and we're going to see how the Word of God and the prophetic scenario that is found there does indicate that these current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. These broadcast partners, unbelievable with the insight they bring to the broadcast table. Well, if you missed any of these conversations, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you'll be able to hear each and every one of them and their entire report for us on current events around this world. And let me ask you to do me a favor. Tell a friend they need to be able to hear these reports as well. Let me take a moment and just remind you of what these men had to say. Ken Timmerman, he was in Sweden with his family. They were having a great family time together. He broke away to talk about the Israeli Air Force sending in one of their F-35s. That's a stealth jet fighter. They crossed Syria. They crossed in and over Iraq. And then they went into Iranian airspace without being detected by any of these countries. Now, that is an absolute warning to the state of Iran. We can come and take out your development of that nuclear weapon of mass destruction if we need to be aware of that. Meanwhile, he talked about Tayyip Erdogan, who's working on reviving the Ottoman Empire, and Russia and Saudi Arabia are coming together. Remember, Saudi Arabia controls OPEC. They're the cartel taking care of the oil supply for the world, and they're trying to work together, Russia and Saudi Arabia, to corner the entire oil market. And then David Dolan, he gave us our Middle East news update, had a lot to talk about with David. High security in place, a high alert on security for the Passover and Resurrection Sunday. I talked to David about that F-35 stealth fighter going over Iran. He had some very interesting comments as well. And we had to have a report on the march of return in the Gaza Strip right at the Israeli border. The Israeli Defense Force is massed there with thousands, they say over 30,000 Palestinians wanting to return, come across that border into Israel, and the Israeli Defense Force doing what they need to do to stop that from happening. 
Hamas, the Palestinian terrorist organization there in the Gaza Strip, saying they'll be there at that location for the next six weeks leading up to the day when the world will commemorate the 70th birthday for the Jewish state of Israel. Then we brought Winky Madad to this broadcast table for the purpose of giving us the reason for Passover recorded there in the book of Exodus chapter 12. They are commanded the Jewish people to go through and talk about the Passover with their families every year, and that's been going on now for 3,500 years. Winky talked to us about the priests, those qualified to serve in the next temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, reenacting the Passover sacrifice there at the southern steps leading up onto the Temple Mount. John Root is our man covering the European Union. He gave us an update how this Russian spy situation has pulled over 20 countries together to take a stand against Russia and what they are doing. It has upset Russia. This is a continuing battle between two superpowers that will come to place during the time of the tribulation. Steve Herzig, he's the National Director for Friends of Israel, explained the passages for the Passover Seder and how we can relate to our Jewish friends at this special time. And we talked with David James, our weekly conversation. We talked about the March for Our Lives movement that is anti-gun, want to get rid of the Second Amendment. This is a very important conversation. You don't want to miss listening to it. And by the way, that can all be done at my website, prophecytoday.com. But because of Passover and Resurrection Sunday coming together on this weekend, let me look at the person of Jesus Christ and the first three Jewish feasts of the seven that are commanded by Leviticus chapter 23. 2,000 years ago, it was Jesus having a Passover Seder. That was the evening of Passover. Remember the Jewish day, the night and the day, the night and the day. So Passover actually began on that evening. They had the Passover Seder the next afternoon at 3 o'clock. Jesus Christ was crucified. May I suggest you look at the book of Matthew, chapters 26 and 27. They're key for your understanding of the part that Jesus played in the Jewish feast. And he'll do that for all seven. Remember, Leviticus 23 gives us seven Jewish feasts. There are four in the spring, three in the fall. The first three feasts are in the spring, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. I remind you, as you read the scriptures there in Matthew 27 especially, you'll come to an understanding that Jesus Christ fulfilled each of these feasts as the Lord put those feasts in the life of the Jewish people for them to understand and recognize the Messiah. Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. Passover afternoon, about three o'clock He had to be buried before sundown. So in unleavened bread, the next feast in the seven of the Jewish feast, unleavened bread, Jesus Christ was separated. He was in the grave. And before Sunday at light, in other words, before daybreak, John chapter 20, Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. That would have been the third night. He had to be, according to the book of Matthew, chapter 12 and verse 40, three days and three nights in the grave. And that's exactly what he did. So Jesus Christ fulfilling the Passover for crucifixion. He was buried on unleavened bread, resurrected on first fruits. 
Do remember, my dear friend, I've already mentioned it before on the broadcast, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus is our Passover, and 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, Jesus is our first fruits. Thus, Jesus Christ fulfilling what Bible prophecy called for, he was indeed the true Messiah, and we celebrate that on Resurrection Sunday. That is my prophetic perspective on the news here that you have received from our broadcast partners around the world, but it is also evidence that Jesus fulfills prophecy. He's going to fulfill the next one. He's going to shout for the rapture of the church and call all Christians up to be with him. That's absolute. And by the way, it could happen today. Having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 